Yo, yo. Welcome to another episode of the Clip City Podcast. I'm your host, Yovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. And today, I am joined by Justin Russo, a.k.a. Fly by Night. Justin, it's been a week, week and a half since the Clippers Game 7 loss to the Nuggets. Uh, you and I discussed Game 7 after that game. Uh, what, what's the last week been like for you? What, where are you at right now? I am mentally healthier than I was <laughs> like three weeks ago. I feel great. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's 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 been weird. It's been a weird adjustment, not you know covering games and and not uh, earlier than expected, right? Like you, you know, it wasn't a lock that this team was going to win a title, but you, you expected them to be at least in this round. Um, I, I will say, you know, the conference finals have been fun so far. Uh, you know, Denver has proven that it was not a fluke that they made the conference finals. I mean, I still think the Clippers obviously should have won that series, but I don't think Denver is some, this isn't Portland making the conference finals last season. No offense to Blazer fans. If, if you're listening, like th- this team is legit. Um, you know, I, I think they, they've really grown in, in front of our eyes in the postseason, And to me, you know, are that credible third best team in the West and, and I guess second best right now, but um, you know, th- th- they were a formidable conference finalist and, and, and I, I think, you know, they could be up two one right now, arguably, um, or should be, uh, if not for Mason Plumley. And, um, you know, so I, I think if, if you are a Clipper fan listening and, and have been paying attention to the conference finals, I think you feel a little bit better that, you know, Denver, it's not like Denver's getting smoked by the Lakers. They, they've actually kind of held their own early. The two biggest beneficiaries of the bubble setting have been the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat. And you have seen that in each team's run to the their respective conference finals. Like Denver's not easy. Miami's really good. And I do think those are the two biggest beneficiaries, obviously because of how far they've made it, but just because of how well they've played as a team. Yeah, no, I, I think, and you know, you look at, I would say the three biggest winners of the bubble um and at least the playoff bubble because you know dame and devin booker and then the blazers and Suns were, were kind of the it teams during the seeding games but in the playoffs it, it's been jimmy butler nikola Jokic, jamal murray like those three guys have really improved their stocks jimmy i, I think now you have confidence in him as a, a number one guy when there were questions and you know a lot of people had him a, a tier below Kawhi leonard and, and paul george and i would still put him below Kawhi, but um, I, I think with what he's pulled off in Miami right now, like y- it would be hard to put Paul George ahead of him, in my opinion. I mean, it's it's, it's a debate, but uh, I, w- I would probably lean towards Jimmy. And Jokic is is playing like a top five guy in the league right now. And Jamal Murray is, is really taking that leap from, you know, a non-all-star to, you know, a ceiling as like a top 20, top 15 guy in the league. So uh, I, I think, you know, those three unquestionably are the winners of the bubble. But Let's get into the losers of the bubble. Um, well, that's <laughs> uh, mean. A, a brutal transition, um, but the the Clippers uh, now they are embarking on an earlier than expected offseason. And to me, there's been a lot of fan, uh, you know, calling and, and questioning for Doc Rivers' job. Um, while I, I think. I understand that perspective, and I think if you look at Doc's tenure w- with the Clippers, um, the fact that they haven't made a conference finals in, in his seven seasons there, the fact that 
Um, you know, he has blown three, three, one leads, including two in LA. Like there, there is a case to be made. I, I don't want to entirely dismiss it, but at the same time, I, I just don't see it as being realistic. You know, like, I, again, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if he isn't brought back next season. But I think at this point, you know, Chris Haynes had the report on, on you know, Doc likely being back. Um, you know, it seems like some of the conversations that, that have happened in the media publicly indicate that Doc will be back. Uh, so I do expect him to be the coach next season. So while fans can focus on that and, and, and you know, have their grievances and, you know, yes, there's a lot to criticize w- with this playoff run with, with Doc. Like, I do think he's going to be back. So let's put that aside for now. Like, Doc will most likely be back. I think objective number one for the Clippers is assessing and correcting the factors that led to their collapse. And really, for me, that starts with re-examining the depth and flexibility of the roster. You know, all season, this team supporting cast w- was rightfully lauded. You know, the deepest team in the league. They, they led the league in bench scoring. Uh, but the supporting cast was very disappointing in the bubble. And it wasn't just in the playoffs. It was partially in the seeding games. Um, and, and part of that was, you know, unforeseen circumstances. You had seven Clippers arrive late or, or miss time in Orlando due to COVID-19 or, or deaths uh, of loved ones. Uh, but part of that was just some of the limitations of this roster, particularly playmaking and defense. And you really saw that bear out at the worst times in the playoffs. So um, not to nerd out too much on you guys here, but the Clippers have about $114 million in guaranteed salary next season, uh, unless Jermichael Green declines his player option, in which case that will drop to about $109 million, uh, which is essentially the projected 2020-2021 salary cap line. So either way, the Clippers are not going to have cap space. They will have a uh, one of two uh, exceptions available to them. The taxpayer mid-level, which is going to be about six million, or the non-taxpayer mid-level, which is just under ten million, uh, depending on what they do with their free agents. But you know, first order of business is Marcus Morris, Montrez Harrell, Jamichael if he opts out, Reggie Jackson, Patrick Patterson. Those guys, they got to figure out what they're doing with them, who they're bringing back, who they're signing, trading, who they're letting walk, and once they figure that out, and once they figure out what they need, then we could get into you know free agents and, and and trades and and different ways to improve the roster. But I think it starts with those guys. And and the first guy I think we should talk about is Montrez Harrell, who to me is one of the most fascinating free agents, if not the most fascinating free agent in this 2020-2021 offseason. We're talking about a guy who what nine months ago everyone loved? Hell, seven months ago everyone loved. And now he's been seen as the scapegoat for a lot of what went wrong for the Clippers in the postseason, fair or foul. That's just how it turned out. And I don't know what his market's going to be. You know, you wrote in your story today, there was talk of him back in December getting about $20 million a year. And now, you know, the floated numbers eight to 12 million a year. That's a huge decrease. And we saw this kind of happen with him the last time he was a free agent, which allowed the Clippers to retain him for two years and 12 million. And they might be able just to do it again because the market could be so bad for him that all of a sudden he just has to return to the Clippers. They have his bird rights that can pay him more than anybody else. And they might just either balloon payment him one year or go for a two or three year deal and either keep him or just 
do the Blake Griffin move of trade him six months later. It's tough. It's, it's an interesting argument for, for so many reasons, because I think it really just depends how you look at it, because I, I think there's the value play where to your point, the Clippers have some leverage here where this is a terrible, you know, quite frankly, terrible uh, free agent class. You know, th- this is one of the worst of the millennium. And you also have somewhere between like three to seven teams with cap space, depending on other moves that they make. So really when looking at who can sign Trez and, and, and Marcus Morris and Jermichael Green, if he wants to test free agency, like, there aren't that many suitors out there. And, and those teams, you know, d- depending on what they do, can maybe sign one or two guys uh, b- before you get to the exception range where the Clippers can match or exceed that with, with those three guys. So I do think the Clippers have leverage in those negotiations. Um, but with Trez, like the, the, the question for me that, that's most interesting is like, does, does he fit into the Clippers' core long term long term and and long term you know not even necessarily we're, we're talking you know four five six years like in the nba now long term is like two years uh so it's really like you know because i thought one of the interesting things was in, in the dallas series doc said it was not a tread series you know you had porzingis you had you had maxi kleba you had boban you had all these kind of big long rangy bigs for the mavericks trez really struggled in that series uh, on both ends and then the same thing happened in Denver. And, you know, Doc again kind of said, you know, this is a better matchup than the Dallas matchup, but, you know, Jokic is tough for him. And and you saw that reflected in the minutes. You know, Trez actually, for all the flack that Doc got, um, you know, I think most of it rides on game seven. Uh, but if you actually look at, you know, the game log, Trez was playing fewer minutes in the Denver series progressively uh, until inexplicably game seven, he, he played 26 minutes. But, you know, I, so... I just look at it like Doc, you know, despite going against his public comments of saying, you know, Trez, you know, wasn't playing that well. And, it, you know, these matchups weren't advantageous to him. It's kind of like, you know, when is there going to be that matchup that's advantageous for Trez? You know, is it Anthony Davis? Is it it's you know, it's not Nikola Jokic. It's not Kristaps Porzingis. Is it going to be Rudy Gobert? Like if you look at who the Clippers are going to have to go through in the West over the next two, three years, the Lakers, the Jazz, the Nuggets, um, you know, the the Mavericks, like none of these matchups are going to be good for Trez. And, I, I, you know, I, I just I don't know, like, you know, the, there is maybe the value play of sure, if you could get him on an eight million deal, uh, you know, a 10 million annual deal. Like, yes, he, he has value in that range. But with the role they've already carved out for him as this guy playing 26 to 30 minutes a night, closing games going up against other teams, best centers. Like, I just don't think that is the correct role for him on this team. I don't think that's really the correct role for him on a contender. And I I think there's a clear limitation to your ceiling as a team if you're going to use him in that way. And I think that the cat's kind of already out of the bag. Like once you've used him in that way, I don't think you could turn around and tell him, hey, like actually we we think Avica Zubats is better. We think he's our closing center now. And you guys are going to flip roles where you're the guy playing 16 to 18 minutes a night and not closing games in the fourth. And now Zoo is closing games. Like, I think it's too late for that. So to me, it, even if the Clippers can can keep him at, and say like a, a great deal would be like three years, 24 million, right? Like like something like that, a, a value thing for, for both sides. I don't even know if he's worth that just because I think 
at this point, like the role they've created for him is not a conducive role for the Clippers to be successful in the playoffs, in my opinion. So to me, I think it's it's almost at a point where you, you probably let him walk or you sign and trade him uh, because re- retaining him, unless it's a one-year deal or, or you know maybe a, a team option on the second year, something like that, like I, I just don't really see him fitting in unless they really readjust his role. That's the biggest question is role because he went from 28 minutes per game in the regular season down to 18 in the postseason. So now you already cut his minutes by a third. And now you're asking a guy who went from nearly 30 minutes a game to now under 20. Hey man, I know you took a hit at the bank because of, you know, postseason performance, but now we're going to bring you back and keep you in that low minute role. I hope you're okay with that. Like that ain't going to fly. I don't care who it is. You're telling a guy who's entering the prime of his career and looking for a payday who had a big role on the team prior to that stint to like take the back seat. It's not going to go well, I think on the court and also off the court. So I look at it as at this point, the Clippers have painted themselves to some degree and Trez did it himself by painting them into this corner the Clippers are now painted into a corner with him, which is, do we bring him back at a less at a less at less money than what he thought he was going to get six months ago, and then hope that he takes a smaller role, or do we have to sit here and try to find someone that we can sign and trade him to, or just let him walk? Honestly, if you can't find a sign and trade taker for him, I think you just have to let him go. Because I'm not going to say it's addition by subtraction, but I feel like the problem for the Clippers in the postseason at a certain point was Avisa Zubats was not ready to play 30 minutes a game. And that's not Zubats problem. The Clippers and their coaching staff and the rotation choices in the regular season did not get him ready for those postseason heavy minutes where, hey, buddy, you got to play 30, 30 to 34 minutes a night as our starting center. I hope you're ready. And he wasn't. And, like, you got to ride the young guy now. He's the better player. He deserves the minutes. At a certain point, you're going to have to trust him to do the job. And if that's at the expense of Montrez Harrell, it really sucks, but that's the way it has to be. And, and I think – you know, there there is a subset of, of Clipper fans that are Trez supporters, that are, are Trez defenders. And I will say, as I wrote today in, in my story that went up on The Athletic about free agency, you know, this version of Trez that we saw was a compromised version. You know, he, he missed a, a month in the bubble um, due to, you know, his grandmother being sick and eventually passing. And, you know, he, he openly talked about how, um, you know, stressful that was for him, how taxing that was for him, how devastating that was for him. So this was obviously a guy who, you know, visibly, I think, lost some of that athleticism and explosion by by missing a month, um, you know, just was not himself finishing, was not himself in terms of defensive rotations. You know, I actually just uh, randomly was looking at a, a couple games earlier in the season, and I did see Trez moving much quicker and, and better defensively, um, you know, still some of the same issues, but he definitely was a, a you know different version of himself in the bubble. That being said, um, you know, and the, the numbers were awful. Like I, I, I wrote about that too. Like you know, last on the team in net rating. Um, you, you know, what uh, was was sixth worst in, in the playoffs in, in terms of uh, player impact plus minus. What was sixth worst defensively 
and defensive player impact plus minus. Lou was actually last in that uh, for what it's worth. Uh, but the thing with Trez was was just that, okay, even if he was healthy and, and you know, himself, he would have put up 15, 16, 18 points, you know, w- would have done what he did in the regular season. But the rebounding was was always an issue. You know, the, the, the rebounding has always been an issue for Trez um, and, and the defense. And, you know, like I, I think people sometimes look at, okay, he'll block a shot, he'll take a charge, but there are so many missed rotations or, or missed timed rotations. Uh, there are teams exploiting him in the pick and roll. There are bigs posting him up or crashing the offensive glass against him and finishing or drawing fouls. So I just, again, I think, you know, Trez – you know, maybe there's another team that could use him in a different way, but unless he somehow evolves into Draymond Green or Ben Wallace this offseason, which I don't see happening, um, I, I do think there is a limitation to his role w- within the context of this roster w- w- with the way they're designed. I, I think they need a, a different option at the five. And uh, again, I think he has value. You want to play him 18 to 22 minutes a night. You, you want to be your, your sixth man, your leading guy off the bench. That's fine. But when it comes to winning time in the playoffs, in the final three rounds, I, I think I look at a guy like Avica Zubats as a much better fit. I look at a guy like Jermichael Green as a much better fit. And, and that's where I'm kind of at with the Trez situation. Like, I just don't know. I, you know, I, I don't know. Um, you know, and, and again, maybe they just bring it back, run it back and, and resign him. And, uh, you know, th- this team was really good this year, right? Like, the, you know, the, they had all, all, all the markers of a championship team. But um, I, I think... Some of that came up short in the playoffs. Um, speaking of Trez, you know, I, I think you and I are in agreement with Marcus Morris and Jamichael Green that the Clippers should bring back both those guys. It, it's just going to be a matter of the contract length and, and the money. And, you know, hopefully for the Clippers, Jamichael uh, exercises his player option. If he declines it and tests for agency, they'll, they'll have to figure that out. But assuming they resign those two, and, you know, we, we don't really have to get into that, uh, Lou is the other guy that to me is. You know, okay, so maybe you you bring back Trez, but you, you trade Lou then, or, or you you know you you package him with some you know Landry, Zeus, something to get a a, a playmaker um, or, or a, a really good big, um, something like that to to kind of you know reshape the roster. Uh, where are you at with Lou and, and kind of what their options are with him this offseason? I'm almost at the point, not almost. I am at the point where I love Lou Williams for what he can do. I'm kind of over all the things he can't do. And he's not a good defender. He's arguably the worst defender in basketball. If we want to go that far, even though I thought he gave great effort in a couple of the Denver games, especially like the first, the first three or four games of that Denver series, he was really good defensively, which I've never thought I would say in my life. And the offense never came. It never even showed up in the bubble, even a little bit, not even in the seeding games. So you look at Lou Williams, you look at his age, you know, you start going through all these things and it's like, he has a deal that you can move. He's 33 years old. You know, he'll be 34 by the, you know, a month from now. I kind of just think this is the time to just cut bait. And I I know that sounds harsh, but you have to look at beyond just like your personal feelings of some guys. Like I love Lou Williams. I just, it's time to move on. They got what three great years out of them. And at this point, I think that's enough. They got what they could. 
You need to move on. You need to find someone who will fit the team better on both ends of the floor. Well, I think Lou gave you some stuff offensively that is hard to replicate by bench guards. There's a steep drop off defensively that is easier to make up by bench guards who aren't as good offensively. So it's the similar production, just in different ways. And I don't know who the Clippers would go after, but I kind of just look at it. Like I kind of just think it's time. Um, I just don't know what else he can give you. He's not going to get better. This is it. If you were to guess on average, how many days people in the U S have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week, maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides the treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have a question or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments, and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to getroman.com clippers for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com slash clippers for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Hey, I'm Taz Mellis of No Dunks on The Athletic. Do you want to walk into a room with your chest puffed out, your neck long, and your shoulders broad? Of course you do. For me, getting clothes that fit properly can give me the confidence I need to do just that. Indochino hooked me up with the gear that fits perfectly. I dreaded getting dressed for my Zoom meetings, but now I change for each one with a big smile on my face. I did a virtual fitting on Indochino's slick website for them to get my measurements. I didn't have to talk to a single human. There are so many options. Here are a few I chose. A long shirt, as I tuck it in. I got a no dunks monogram, and I decided against the shirt pocket. I sincerely did not think that custom fit clothing was this affordable, and all customizations are included in the cost. The website keeps your measurements on file so you never have to re-enter them. The best part, Indochino suits start at just $2.99 with all customizations included. Indochino is a no-brainer if you're getting married. Visit one of the Indochino showrooms across North America. Or book a virtual appointment like I did and shop online at Indochino.com. And right now, you'll get $30 off any purchase of $3.99 or more when you enter code TAS. Not ass, TAS, T-A-S, at checkout. That's Indochino.com, promo code TAS. Sometimes I wish we disagreed more. I know. We don't really disagree. It kind of annoys the hell out of me. You know, where, where I'm at with this is I, I view Lou and Trez very similarly. I think they have very similar strengths and weaknesses. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's actually easier to hide Lou as a guard. You know, it, it, it is harder to hide a poor big man defender. They're easily exploitable in the pick and roll, on rotations, you know, with with crashing the offensive glass. Like, 
Um, you know, while teams did do a really good job of targeting Lou, and, and you know that is a growing concern for me as it seemed to happen more and more throughout the season. Um, you know, I, I think he's a little bit easier to hide for Trez. So honestly, for me, if it came down to keeping one of them, I would lean towards Lou. But I am at the point where I think you, you have to get rid of one of them. I would personally get rid of both. But I think it's at the point where, you, you know, you you, ha- you have to get rid of one of them. And I, again, I, I think the issue here with, with Lou is, you know, if you want to readjust his role 18 to 22 minutes a night, um, you know, okay, w- when you're in, gun, you know, shoot as much as you want, get your points, get your 15 to 18, like, you know, you have free reign to do that. That's fine. But when it comes to end of, you know, last six, seven, eight minutes of a game, I just don't know how, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know what your your ceiling is with, with Lou Williams out there. And, um, you know, as I just mentioned earlier, like he had the, he has the worst currently, you know, defensive, um, you know, player impact plus minus, um, you know, ha- had a really bad defensive rating with this team. And and while he did try defensively, um, you know, I, I felt like he still was targeted a lot and, and team still, you know, would have, you know, Denver ran those back cuts against Lou so many times. And, and you know, whether it was Lou and Landry or, or Lou and Reggie or, or Lou and whoever, like they, they miscommunicated, they, they botched the switches and Denver got a, a bunch of back cuts and offensive rebounds. And it kind of reminded me of what uh, Portland did in 2016 versus Jamal Crawford, where, where they really targeted him um, and, and turned guys like Al Farouk Aminu and Mo Harkless into, you know, offensive threats when, it was largely just cutting against Jamal and, and crashing the offensive glass. And that's what Denver did with Tory Craig, uh, with Gary Harris, different guys. So I think with Lou, um, you know, again, if, if you readjust his role, but the, the playoff thing is not an aberration. You know, the, 2019 right. was an aberration, you know, 21 and seven versus the Warriors. And that was actually a weird series because if you look at the splits, he's like terrible. At at home. Yeah, it was really weird. But, um, you know, the, the other years, you know, he's is, is, is a career in the playoffs, 12 points, three assists, uh, 39% shooting, 25% three-point shooting. Like, that's over nine playoff appearances. I don't think that's an aberration. So you now have this history of this guy really struggling, dropping off as a scorer, dropping off as a three-point shooter, dropping off as a passer in the playoffs. And he's about to be 34. Like, I, I, I that's not going to change. He's going to only become a worse scorer and a worse defender as time progresses. Like, you know, he, he's already kind of defied father time to this point. So I think the, the Clippers are at a, a weird point with, with what they have to do. But for me, I think to kind of recap some of what we discussed, I think you got to make some decisions on Lou and Trez, um, you know, and, and maybe that's sign and trading Trez, letting him walk or, or re-signing him. Uh, you got to explore the trade market with Lou uh, and then I, th- I think you you bring back Marcus and Jamichael because those guys as, as three and D forwards are, are really valuable. I two things. Um, number one, I almost think if we're just overthinking this, and the front office really might just look at this and be like, "Look, they weren't great in the bubble, but the bubble was also extenuating circumstances. So maybe we should just run it back, give it an extra year, and see what happens." Like that really at the end of the day could be their decision because they could just look at the bubble and just think, you know, the bubbles, what did it more than anything? Let's see what happens. Number two, we also might be overthinking this in the free agent market and just, it really might just come down to 
They let Montrez Harrell walk because they believe in Fiondu Cabangeli as the backup center. However much people might not or might believe in him, they might just believe in him a lot more. Also, the thing with him is maybe the front office saw this coming anyways, and that's why they traded up to get him last draft. The other thing tied with him, and this goes with Lou, is if they really do decide to move on from Lou, maybe they just really groom Landry into that guy and tell him to be more of a scorer rather than a shooter. And I don't know if that'll work. I think it has been, I think it's been really unfair to Landry, how his role has been kind of waffling with the team in the last year where he went from the spot up shooter running off of uh, screens and all this stuff to, all right, last off season, we want you to be more of a main ball handler. And then he was never used as a main ball handler. And then, the, then in the bubble, you know, he was a bench guy. Then, you know, the, the Reggie experiment at center at center at a starting point guard goes bad. So they put, Landry in and Landry's great. And then Pat comes back and Landry's back on the bench and he struggles again. Like no, no player on the Clippers has had their role more in flux than Landry Shamit. So I kind of think if you're the Clippers and you believe in him, you have to give him a role that is conducive to success. And that might just be letting Lou Williams walk away. We're, we're, we're in agreement. Um, I hate next- it. <laughs> Next week, I'll be back with some free agent discussion on the three different types of players. I, I think the Clippers need to add who some of those targets might be. Um, thank you guys for listening. As always, Justin, thank you for coming on. Where can people find you on social media and read and listen to your work? You can find me at flybynight, F-L-Y-B-Y-K-N-I-T-E. You can find me on patreon.com slash flybynight. And you can find me on the Blue Wire Network at the Clip and Roll podcast. Uh, We do episodes every about five or six days. As always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Yovan Buha. That's at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. If you have not subscribed to The Athletic, we currently have a promotion for $1 a month. Uh, So check that out on Twitter or Google or wherever you want to find an athletic article. You could also go to theathletic.com slash Google to help this podcast out. If you've not subscribed, rated, or reviewed this podcast, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. I'll be back next week. Talk to you then.